Welcome to Wellspring on the Air. I'm Lindsay Steffen, a therapist at Wellspring and the host of today's show about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. So here with me today is Carlos Izquierdo. He is one of our interns and he has been an awesome addition to the team during this year. So thank you for being with me today, Carlos. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. Yeah. So why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, kind of your experience and what you've been doing with us at Wellspring? Well, uh, I am a student intern, as you said. I, um, I'm completing a master's in mental health in Obizu University. I started working with Wellspring in September 2020. And I've been, uh, before that, I was working for a while with uh, autistic uh, children and, you know, uh, especially minors that suffer autism, ADHD, and similar uh, uh, disorders. And I was working as a behavioral um, um, as a behavioral technician, providing behavioral therapy to this population. And then uh, once I, uh, you know, I started my master's in mental health, I decided to take the route of the, to become a mental health counselor. And well, now I'm in my final semester and excited to finish, to graduate. And I'm already seeing clients uh, as an, as a, as an intern, I'm doing my practicum hours, and and it's been a really um, enriching and illuminating uh, experience because I've been able to see uh, with actual clients whatever I was learning theoretically now is becoming real with with the clients, and it's been a delight to work with them. Awesome, good. Well, I'm so glad that you've had a good experience, and yeah, mm -hmm. it's true. You have all this head knowledge, but applying it is a much different story. So yeah. Yeah, and we've been so happy to have you. So, and yeah, I know that um, OCD is a special niche working with that kind of anxiety disorder. So we're going to just dive in and, you know, our listeners might, maybe they've heard of OCD and there's stereotypes from movies, but let's really talk a little more, um, you know, clinically, what, what is the true definition of OCD? Yeah, as the, as the label says, obsessive compulsive disorder. So OCD is <clears throat> made up two parts. Uh, one is obsessions. Obsessions are uh, intrusive thoughts, thoughts that are uh, experienced as intrusive, they're persistent, they're recurrent, and they cause a great deal of distress in the person. Uh, it can be an, a feeling of anxiety, it can be a feeling of disgust, it can be a feeling of incompleteness, but uh, those thoughts you know, uh, trigger those emotions. And then the person as a response to those emotions tries to get rid of that by performing what is called compulsions. Compulsions are a sort of behavior that is meant to reduce the anxiety, the disgust, or the feeling of the nagging feeling that those obsessions cause. And the um, ironic thing about compulsions is that even though they may bring some temporary relief to the person performing the compulsions, in fact, they don't solve the problem because the obsession then comes, comes back and then causes more anxiety. And then the person finds his or herself trapped into a sort of loop or a yeah. vicious cycle of obsessing and then performing a compulsion, obsessing, performing a compulsion. And actually, uh, it has been uh, shown that the more the person performs the compulsions, the stronger the obsessions become. So okay. it's, a, it's really, it's really a, uh, it's, it's like a loop. It's like a loop. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, the, the more you do it, the more you have to do it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I even think of we were, when we work with drug addiction, it's kind of like, oh, you get that high and you're good for a little bit, but you always have to go back to it. It never stops. It never satisfies and you're good to go. So I kind of see some of that similar, that yeah. loop that you get stuck in behaviorally. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's an interesting, uh, uh, it's, it's, um, it's interesting that you brought the, the case of addiction because there's a lot of similarity, but there's one important difference between addiction and OCD. Usually addictions begin by being pleasurable. Mm. OCD is never pleasurable for the person who's having those obsessive thoughts. Actually, the person just want to get, he or she wants to get rid of those thoughts. Uh, whereas, you know, the addict, at least in the beginning, if the, if the early stages of the addiction, enjoys whatever That's the true. substance or <laughs> yeah they're getting more of that dopamine release but yeah it's yeah, the, yeah. performing the compulsion whether washing your hands or i know we'll go into some actual examples in a minute but yeah it was always very anxiety producing i hear you say but there is a big similarity between addiction and ocd this ocd is like similar like addiction is ocd like Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, there, there, there are also some differences. Not, you know, what are we talking about? Let's let's use some concrete examples. So, uh, there can be as many obsessions obsessions as, as there are people. Any thought can become an obsession. But but uh, through studies, and these studies have been conducted not only in the United States but across the world, we have been able to find that there's about three or four dominant types or of obsessions and compulsions that account actually for about 70% of uh, all cases of OCD. And, and that tells that there may be a really strong genetic component because we can see that through different cultures, it yeah. tells that there's a strong genetic component in OCD. Now, one of the most common uh, cases of OCD is what is called obsessions where cleanness, uh, cleaning or contamination. So right. there are people that are uh, extremely afraid of some uh, be, being the victim of some kind of contamination it can be either um, you know uh, uh, getting a virus uh touching a doorknob and and getting uh, infected or by germs and then they're constantly worried about that possibility and usually the compulsion that is that is used to try to solve that is just uh it's called cleaning compulsions for example if you're afraid of touching doorknobs or touching, I don't know, tables and restaurants because you think you're going to get a virus, then those people may, you know, uh, go to the bathroom many times, wash their hands over and over again with the hope that they will make sure that there's there is there there isn't the slightest possibility that they cut the, that they get get the virus. Yeah. So and then but what happens is that it doesn't work. Like the more they wash their hands, the more they get obsessed with getting a virus. And it, there's a big uh, mystery there. And apparently it is also connected with the brain. We're gonna talk about that later, but now I would okay. like to mention another case. Uh, so that's, that's cleaning compulsion, uh, cleaning obsessions and compulsions, but it's, there's also harm obsessions. Okay. And it's people that are concerned about getting harmed themselves or harming others. Yes, and I've had some of those cases. And even just in case we have a listener who's maybe very disturbed, I mean, I've had clients who are loving parents, but even have a compulsion or a thought that what if I hurt my child? What if I'm cooking in the kitchen and I just stab them? And that's, of course, extremely disturbing. But we have to learn that's not your thought at all. That's OCD sending you that anxious thought. And of course, there's, a, you know, people who are violent or dangerous, but with OCD, with this kind of thinking, you're really not, you're not wanting to do it. You're in fact, extremely distressed by it. Yeah, exactly. And actually, as you can see, uh, OCD is very, it's very related to the, diffi the difficulty in accepting uncertainty because people that are obsessed with, well, what if I want to hurt my children? It's not like they are 100% certain that they want to hurt their children, but just the, the fact that there is a possibility, even remote, just put them in distress. 
Yeah. And then they want to, they engage in all sorts of checking behaviors. Uh, for example, the obsession can be, well, what if I leave the oven connected and there's a fire in the house and I, my, my children die, or maybe people in the neighborhood will die. And then those people need to go back and make sure that the oven is disconnected. Now, everyone has done that, you know, one, once or twice, but if yeah. you do that 30 times, 40 times, 50 times a day, yeah. then your life is going to suffer because then yeah. it, it seems like everything starts, you know, revolving around your checking behavior. Right. And it starts to interfere with your normal life. So you're late to work because you had to go back 30 times and check or yeah, we start to see that it's distressing in your everyday life. You can't maybe maintain even relationships, things like that. So exactly, exactly. Actually, one of the criteria, one of the, I'm on the criteria for knowing if the person suffers from OCD or not is how much time do you spend engaging in compulsions? Mm. Usually uh, an hour or more will be considered uh, a case of OCD. Of course, there are different degrees of severity. There are people who only spend, well, one hour, around one hour, but there are people who will spend most of the day just checking if the oven is on, which right. is quite a, a very distressful thing. Um, <clears throat> that's another one. There, there, there's also the obsession with symmetry or order. There are people that are so obsessed with um, and, and with symmetry and order. This could be with things around them in their environment. It could also be mental. It doesn't have to be with with actual things. But okay. people that are this are people that are considered very perfectionistic, and they need things to be organized in a put in a certain order. And then if they don't get that organization, then they get this trigger. They are triggered with this tremendous anxiety, and they feel the urge. To make sure that things are done in the in the right way. In right. The way. You can get very irritable. Maybe oh, if you have kids and they move things or upset that order and symmetry, you can start to be actually mean to them. But it's coming from your anxiety, not that they're a mean person, but they're so distressed that things are not just so. Absolutely, absolutely. That that's, that can even uh, can even be connected to. Um, although this is another type of not type, but another. Uh, type of obsessions okay. but it can be connected to prayer for example there are people who think that they have to pray in a certain order if they don't pray in that order then the prayer is not valid and then they have to go back and pray again until they feel that they get it just right okay and they can spend hours uh, repeating wow. the same behavior so it's really distressing now there's and this connected connects with a four category which is the category of forbidden thoughts or taboo thoughts uh, these are like thoughts about aggression or sexual thoughts or even religious thoughts of blasphemy or uh, sin and you know this can be seen uh this very uh, it's very common to see this among religious people obviously people that are um, for them it's really important to feel that they're in good standing uh, with God, that God is not disappointed at them. And they're, they're find themselves questioning, well, did I sin? Uh, am I, am I, you know, am I, it, how is God looking at me? And then they have right. all these uh, recurring thoughts about being pure uh, before right. God. Uh, and then it's also another kind of, um, of OCD that I found out when I was uh, doing my research for this interview, which uh, is not in the DSM-5, but uh, a lot of clinicians mention it. They call it existential OCD. 
Yes. Existential okay. OCD. And Please explain people- that because I find that one very interesting and I've actually treated it with several clients, but it's hard to pinpoint because it's not kind of talked about as a normal OCD type, but it is yeah. this for sure. So go for it. Yeah. People that are obsessed with deep philosophical questions and they yeah. feel that they need to solve those questions in order to get rid of this sense of anxiety, uncertainty, or this nagging feeling of incompleteness. Like I have to solve those questions. And those are usually really hard questions that no one has figured out an answer for. So yeah. they they find they find themselves looking on the internet, looking for interviews, talks, reading, underlining books, like trying right. to figure out a, a solution. And then when they think they have the solution, then they hear someone who makes another comment that question, and then they have to start all over again to try to solve that mystery. And I, here we're talking about philosophical issues, like oh, um, it, does God exist, or are we yes. free will versus determinism? Are we free to choose? Or those are perennial questions of philosophy that no one has figured out, and somehow they feel the need to solve them. Right, and they're trapped in this constant uh, pattern of obsessing and compulsing. And um, and yeah, that's that's a very interesting case because, as I said, it's not included in the DSM five. I don't know if it will oh. be in the future, but. Yeah. And those clients, it's hard because we, because of movies and TV, we think of OCD, checking the lock, washing your hands, these very kind of the stereotypical rituals, but there's like, you're explaining to us. I'm so glad you are. There's such a spectrum. And so some OCD, there is no actual maybe behavioral outcome. It could just be all mental. So some people will Google about God, existential things, but some of my clients just ruminate on it in their head and the behavior is being just stuck and being so distressed. They can't do their normal life things, you know, like at school, I'm still thinking about this. So that's a really interesting point. Well, you know, Carlos, we actually have to take a quick break. This is so good. We could talk forever. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And I'm Lindsay Steffen with Wellspring on the air. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Wellspring on the Air. This is Lindsay Stefan. I'm here with Carlos Izquierdo, and we are talking about obsessive compulsive disorder. So if you're just joining our show and you missed the first half or you came midstream, definitely check out your favorite podcast channel, Wellspring on the Air, or go to our blog page, wellspringmiami.org, and just search for this topic, obsessive compulsive disorder, and you can catch up on what you've missed so far. So we've talked through what is OCD. We've talked through obsessions, compulsions. We've given some examples of different types. And we just were talking about how there are rituals, the things we actually play out with the compulsion, the behavior. Um, But also we were talking a little bit just about the existential OCD and how it can be solely just in your brain, worrying about, is God real? Is what is the rapture? All these kind of things I've had clients get obsessed with and just get stuck in that thought loop. So Carlos, we'll continue from there. And, and by the way, these people are not, it's not like they're enjoying investigating these questions. They don't want to have them. They want to get rid of them. And that's the difference between someone who suffers from existential city and someone who has, makes a career, he's like a professional philosopher. You right. Know. They love it. They thrive <laughs> on it. That's you know what different. I mean? It's, it's their calling. It's their career. In this case, it's someone who doesn't want to think about these issues, but those issues are somehow they impose themselves on the, on the, on the, on the person's mind and they feel that they have to wrestle with them. Yeah. Um, Good distinction. 
Yeah, yeah, and as you said, is uh, rituals can be internal. They don't, they don't have to be some kind of external behavior. That's why sometimes it's tricky to diagnose OCD because usually you say, well, so you will tell if someone suffers from OCD because of the ritual. But but if yeah. the person doesn't have any external rituals, if if everything is in the mind, and it could be like counting, praying, saying something quietly, or even trying to think about something like forcing your mind to think about something or to have like a like a mental image that's to somehow neutralize the obsessive thought you cannot see that externally if you have to wait for the client to tell you and sometimes clients don't want to share who would want to share that you know what i mean it's it's very it's very uh, for them it's embarrassing so it's really hard to it's really hard to tell so i I wanted to move to some statistics um we know that uh, ocd is more common than we think actually um the world health world health organization in 1996 published for the first time a list of the 10 top 10 uh, disabling conditions and ocd was one of them in the world um they consider uh, actually uh, it is considered that about two uh, percent of the world population suffers from OCD, and here in the United States, one in forty people suffer from okay. OCD. So that's, that's more great, common than people imagine. I'm guessing that's, that's a great amount of people. Now, yeah. why why would it be that uh, we don't see as many cases of OCD? It's because people that have OCD are very good at hiding it. Yeah, they're very good at hiding it. Um, now. <sighs> One may wonder, well, what's the cause of OCD? Uh, is it biological? Is it uh, is it sort of learning or a cultural thing? Well, it's actually a combination of biology, biology and learning. We know that people that suffer from OCD, uh, <clears throat> there are certain regions of the brain. For example, there's a there's a region in the brain that um, it reacts to uncertainty, and we know that people that suffer from OCD has a uh, lower threshold for third first uh, uncertain which means that it takes less uncertainty for them to react with anxiety okay like that part of the brain is triggered more easily mm. compared to the quote-unquote normal brain okay so they will get really anxious about something that other people wouldn't you know consider a big deal right uh, my ocd clients they tell me they're like i think they'll have a thought that i would maybe have get anxious about but in a minute it would go and i'd move on with my day but that thought comes to them and they are unable to move past it, it it's like it's cemented into their brain and they cannot focus on something else until they quote unquote take care of it or do yeah. whatever compulsion yeah so yeah some people call it sticky thoughts okay like, yeah yeah are stuck in your mind and you don't know how to get rid of them except eat. and uh, you feel like if you don't perform the compulsions you're not the compulsion they're going to be able to get rid of it and then there's another region of the brain that is related to uh, it sends you a it makes you when you finish a task you you get the feeling of completion now what happens with people that suffer from ocd is that that part of the brain is that is not working properly they don't get that feeling of completion Okay. And that drives them crazy because if you wash your hands and you know rationally that you completed washing your hands, but you don't know emotionally that you completed washing your hands because you're not getting the feeling of completion. So it is very confusing and they feel, oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I think I washed my hands, but I feel like I didn't wash my hands. So I have to do it again. Yeah. And they're caught in that cycle. Uh, it's, it's really distressing for them. So there is this yeah. position this biological predisposition, but that in itself is not enough for someone to become, to develop OCD as a disorder. There have to be some, okay. there have to be triggers in the environment. There have to be a history of learning. And usually 
a lot of, uh, you know, a, a great percentage of the people that suffer from OCD develop it in childhood. All yeah. the people develop it in late, uh, mid or late adolescence. So those are the most common. Sometimes it develops abruptly and sometimes it develops gradually. Right. Um, now, what are the causes? Why, why can someone uh, develop a, an obsession with cleanness versus harm or existential OCD versus symmetry? Great question. Well, yeah. we don't know. There can be many factors involved there. In the history of the person. Uh, sometimes uh, you can get a hint uh, of why, if we know what is important for that person. If for you it is important to be an ethical person and to have a good moral character, anything that could threaten that will be possibly um, uh, a source of obsession. Okay. If for you, if for you being, uh, if you're very religious and for you, uh, you know, being faithful to God is really important, then anything that could threaten that can become an obsession. But we don't know for sure. What we know is that when it develops, it tends to, there's a difference between the pre precipitating causes and the perpetuating causes. So whatever caused the OCD originally doesn't have to be necessarily what maintains it over time. Okay. Like so I'm hearing there's the genetic component where you're kind of predisposed for this type of anxiety disorder, but then also there's environmental triggers or maybe even modeling. If it's genetic and a, a family member, a mom, dad, whoever also have some type of anxiety disorder or specifically OCD, they're learning both through the modeling of that and then also just that predisposition genetically. Yeah, exactly. So that combination and there's a, a, one of the, the experts of OCD in, in the United States, I was watching a, an interview with him and he, he used an example that I think is very illustrating. Um, someone who, uh, let, to tell the difference between precipitating and maintaining factors, say that you are a teenager and you are very unassertive and your peers start smoking and you start smoking because you're, you're not assertive. So you wanna go with the majority. Yeah. And now you have an addiction to nicotine mm -hmm. uh, and now you're 35 years old and you wanna get rid of it. If you address the lack of assertiveness, you're not, you're not gonna solve the problem because the lack of assertiveness may have been in the origin, but it's not what is keeping the disorder now. Got you it. know, there is a chemical dependency now that is keeping the disorder. So yeah. even if you go back into the past and you address whatever uh, initiated the, the OCD, you may not necessarily help the client overcome the disorder because maybe that all the factors are maintaining the disorder now. Yes, so, new, new things have developed as their life has changed, as they're now having an adult life experience. Exactly. Uh, there is also the difference between content and form. I think we already touched on, a, on that. Like content, it can be, a, you know, any, whatever the theme of your OCD is, whatever the theme of your obsession. So okay. that can vary from person to person. But okay. the, that, that's the content. But the form is always the same. Obsessions yeah. that cause great distress and compulsions to, to try to get rid of them. It's like the it's, same formula, just different situations or different, scenarios. Exactly. Okay. exactly. All right. Well, let me ask you a little bit, just because we are Christian counselors here, or counselors who are Christian, whatever you want to say, but tell us a little bit about faith and OCD, any mm -hmm. inter intersection there. Yeah, I, there's a lot of, in there's a lot of stigma actually among people of faith okay. and not a lot of, uh, even sadly, a lot of lead, religious leaders or pastors are well informed about OCD. And the kind of counseling that people perceive uh, from pastors or priests is not always scientifically informed. And they okay. see OCD not necessarily as an illness, but as some 
they, they tried to get some kind of spiritual meaning or theological meaning out of OCD, when in fact, oh. uh, what research shows is that it's more like a neurological slash psychological condition that it oh, yeah. doesn't need to have a lot of spiritual meaning to it. It's, it's uh, a medical condition. Yeah. The, the brain is sick. Your brain's an organ, just like if your lungs or your heart gets sick, your brain gets sick. And yeah. so you're right. It's kind of, it's not a lack of faith or trusting God, which sometimes maybe, unfortunately, churches will perpetuate that when you're like, no, actually, we can look at the brain scan and see that the brain as an organ is not functioning correctly. Yeah, you, you don't try to. There, there was a, a an OCD um, uh, uh, someone who you know was given a talk on OCD and he was recovering from OCD, but he suffered from scrupulosity because scrupulosity is the name that is used for OCD when it applies to a religious context. Okay. And they he would said that well, just I don't look for a theological meaning behind my high blood pressure. Mm. You know, in the same way, I don't think why I should look for a theological meaning behind my my OCD symptoms. Wow, uh, that's a just, great example. Yeah, it's just a brain condition. Um, and yes, you can be both a person of faith and suffer from OCD. They are not incompatible and they are not a sign of that your lack of trust or that you are a sinner. Or even I've heard that, that one a lot too, like the OCD somehow occurs mm. to the person. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, I love that you said that though. They're not incompatible. You can be a person of faith and suffer with OCD, just like you can also suffer with diabetes or low blood pressure, whatever, high blood pressure. So yeah. Well, you know, Carlos, we just have a couple minutes left. So I want to ask you, because this is important. We want to give hope to our listeners. Can yeah. OCD be treated and how? So why don't you briefly give us an overview there? Yes. OCD can be treated. And actually there exists, uh, uh, the standard treatment for OCD is, uh, is called uh, exposure exposure and response prevention, uh, ERP. And there are other modalities of therapy. Usually they're they being combined lately, ACT therapy, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. And actually there is good, a good amount of research showing that it really works. Uh, you may need medication in the beginning because uh, it, it, depending on the severity of your OCD, you may need medication in the beginning and medication also works. But what we have, what we have found is that therapy has the most profound and lasting effects. Uh, now what we need the, the, the key for this is, first of all, to have the right diagnosis because OCD can be confused with other conditions. And once you get the right diagnosis, it is really important to find someone who specializes in OCD because there are many of them, but it's really important. And yes, it can be treated and the person can recover and the person can have a meaningful and productive life and can learn to deal with his or her OCD. Actually, awesome. there's an expert on OCD that says that by recovering from OCD, you have to learn how to deal with uncertainty. And after you recover, you're not going to be normal. You're going to be better than normal. Because yes. you're going be, to learn to deal with uncertainty even much better than quote unquote normal people. Yeah, so. than the average person. Oh, that's so hope giving. Well, thank you for that, Carlos. And I can attest to that clinically. I've treated people with OCD or different comorbid disorders. And absolutely, you get to a place just so like with depression or any other disorder where you can live a happy, meaningful, fulfilling life, have normal relationships. It just takes that work and really healing whatever's going on in the brain. So all right. Well, it's time to close out the show, Carlos. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Well, um, I just um, I, I just would encourage anyone that uh, may think that he or she may suffer from an OCD or someone in the family to look for professional help. There is good treatment. The treatment yes. works. So, and yeah, that's what I would say. 
Awesome. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks for joining me today and teaching all of us a little more about OCD and what we can do if someone we love or ourselves were kind of resonating with this show and noticing maybe I should reach out and get help. So again, if you joined our program midstream, you can go ahead and find the full complete episode on our podcast channel, Wellspring on the Air, or you can go to our blog page, wellspringmiami.org. Again, today's title is Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. So encourage us, let us know you're listening, drop us a line. You can email us at on the air at wellspringmiami.org. Send any comments, questions, or maybe if you have a request for a show you would like to hear, definitely let us know. So it's time to wrap up. This is Lindsay Steffen with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter.